As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to You Irons, the West Ham United podcast from the good people at The Athletic. I'm Sam Delaney. I'm joined, as always, by The Athletic's West Ham correspondent, Rashane Thomas. Rashane, how are you doing? I'm all good, Sam. I'm all good. Yourself? I'm very well, thanks. Uh, still buoyant after what was a, a very decent performance at the weekend against Manchester City that just strengthens a lot of the stuff that you and I and many other West Ham fans have been feeling for a while now. That, yeah, OK, it was just a draw. It's only two points out of a possible six over the last couple of games. But that's, what, four games unbeaten. And it's just if you watch the performance rather than look at the sequence of results, there is a consistency to our performances now for the first time in a long time, isn't there? 100%. West Ham have already lost uh, two of their last 10 Premier League games, which is just incredible, really. Mm. And my takeaway from that match against Man City is the players could have left the field feeling a bit disappointed not to win because Fournals had that great chance late on, which he was unable to convert. And remember the last time we said, you know, we're close to beating Man City. Usually it's like Man City beating West Ham 5-0, 4-0. So again, as you touched on, it shows the improvement on the Moyes. And again, the improvement since lockdown and the momentum that we're starting to build. And it's just, it's just it, from my opinion, the first half, I thought there was so much positives. Antonio's goal was just oh, ridiculous. It was just yeah. so good. Masuaku keeping Mahrez quiet. That was one of Masuaku's best performances in the West Ham shirt. Yeah. So yeah, really encouraging. This is your last chance to subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 a month. You'll be able to access all of our great writing on West Ham and so much more. The offer ends this week, so if you've been thinking about trying us out, this is the perfect time. Go to athletic.com slash westhampod to sign up. That's athletic.com slash westhampod and pay just £1 a month. It's really good to see the players perform at this similar level of focus, concentration, but also confidence going forward uh, in every game. It just feels like there's a good atmosphere about the squad. Like they go in smiling with confidence. They're not casual, but they're they're confident and prepared in every game. They know their jobs. They know their roles and the tactics that Moyes has. I feel that some people write wrote Moyes off, and you know it wasn't ever the most popular appointment because they thought that he was like Allardyce Mark II. There was a sense that you know he was a an old-fashioned manager. I've heard people call him a dinosaur with old-fashioned tactics. And I think nothing about what I've seen 
in both spells as West Ham manager has made me think that about him. I, I haven't always been behind him. I think that you and I have been behind him pretty consistently this season and and most of his spell last season. But I think there was an episode of this podcast where I think after we lost the first two games after lockdown and there's pretty poor performance against Spurs and Wolves, we did call into question whether or not he could last till the end of the season. Um, but these are the sort of things you can think when your back's the wall and, and when you, you're very you're very worried about going down, which we were at that stage. But I think on the whole, in both spells, one thing you can never say is that he has been a negative manager. He's not been like Sam Allardyce. Sam Allardyce, you know, even when we were winning and doing well, the games were usually pretty difficult to watch. I think he had one season where we played slightly more expansive football where... Funny enough, it was I think it was his last season where Stuart Downing came in and was playing sort of in a playmaker number 10 role behind uh, Valencia and Sacco. And I remember that actually being quite an entertaining period. But on the whole, you knew that it was damage limitation. That was Allardyce's approach to games. But I don't know, Moyes is, you know, in his first spell, he, he brought in Hal Mario, which is, a, you know, extremely attacking addition. In this spell, he's brought in attacking players like Suchet, Ben Rama and Bowen. And it, we're definitely more organised defensively. We definitely look less desperate when we're out of possession. Like we know how to, you know, hold a shape that will prevent the other team from getting chances. But as soon as we get possession of the ball, this is a very attack-minded team. And, you know, there are wing-backs with licence to fly forward. You know, the central midfield to get forward a great deal. This is not like, uh, you know, where he's just sort of, you know, sit back and don't give away possession at all costs and we'll try and nick it from a set piece. That's not what this team's about. I think that in some ways these are stereotypes and prejudices based on the fact that A, he's not particularly young and B, he is Scottish. I mean, you know, he, he, or, or if he was a, a, any British nationality, <laughs> yeah. I think people are sceptical about that in this day and age, aren't they? For me personally, Sam, I feel like, the 19 months where Moises was unemployed, I feel like that was a turning point for him because he wasn't getting another job. The narrative was he failed at Man United, he failed at Real Sociedad, failed at Sunderland, was all right in his first spell. No, one's, no one wants him, he's outdated as a manager. And I feel like that time away, he gave an opportunity to look at himself in the mirror and say, I'm still a good manager, I, I just need a chance, Like I can reinvent myself. And it's, a, it's similar to Masuaku's turnaround, it's a good comeback story because he's done well. After the match against Man City, I put out the poll on like whether he deserves a new contract. Obviously, we'll get onto it later in, later in the podcast. And over fifty percent, well, sixty percent rather, said he deserves a new deal. And a testament to Moyes and just how well he's done and just turning things around. As you touched on, we're a little bit nervous after the defeats against Wolverhampton and Tottenham, thinking, "Oh, could the ball perhaps panic a bit and get rid of him?" Kept faith in Moyes, and he's more than you know showing he's good enough. And I'm just happy. I'm just happy just how well he's done. He's giving young players a chance. Antonio's doing well. I just talked to Tomas and Tuchek doing great. Brought in the right personnel, and now you're thinking, oh, West Ham can actually build for the future. And I can't remember the last time, Sam, things have been like this good. Usually, West Ham are known for like so many off the field dramas and just things affecting performances. Even like before lockdown and the uh, Black Balloon protests at Anfield, after the match, no one was talking about the protests. Everyone was talking about how well West Ham played, and it's just great to see Moyes getting the credit he deserves. I think he it's it's strange the way football works sometimes amidst some of the worst kind of toxic atmosphere that we've had around the club in many years 
he has sort of kept his head down, managed to keep his own head and the players' heads on the pitch and thinking about the football as opposed to any of the other nonsense going on around it. I am, as I've said repeatedly, I am against the ownership of this club. I I, I, will, I want to see Golden Sullivan and Brady out the club in the right way. I want, you know, on the basis that there are people come in and buy it from them who, who are going to be better at running the place. But Moyes has managed to ignore all of that because he has to, right? And the players have too. And it's just weird sometimes that amidst the worst chaos that, you know, the best on-field performances in a very long time have emerged. And, and sometimes things like that happen in football. You know, I mean, I was thinking the other day about, I mean, it's hard to think of, of all of them, but like Pardew had an amazing spell amidst like the huge protests there were uh, about Mike Ashley still fairly early in Ashley's reign at Newcastle. And, and Pardew came in and the players were against him and the fans didn't like the appointment. And, you know, amidst all of this sort of bitterness and, and, and toxic atmosphere off the field, Newcastle that year made a serious run at the Champions League. And for a while, I think, even topped the table. Sometimes in the face of adversity, players can perform better. I don't know if it's linked to the bad atmosphere or not, but I do think it's it's kind of strange but brilliant that this team has really found its personality and its balance and it, and its performance level during this period. And long may it continue. I mean, the one the one you know, I can it, it. You're mostly thinking only positive thoughts at the moment because don't forget we've had this run of great performances, and so far we haven't even had a chance to see our. Basically, our star signing, our marquee signing of the summer, Ben Rama, who didn't even make the bench, I, I think, due to fitness issues at, at the weekend. So it's so exciting when you think this team's already firing all cylinders. And yet we've got match winners on the bench like Yarmolenko and Lanzini, who we've seen come on and win matches, who are, you know, are on their day, incredible players. Right. We've got Haller, a £45 million striker on the bench. And we've got our star signing, Ben Rama who's like some kind of magician who we're all extremely excited about seeing in action, hasn't even been on the bench yet. So there are so many reasons to be cheerful other than the fact that um, Antonio went off with a, a dodgy hamstring uh, during the game on Saturday. And that was worrying. What do we know about that so far? He's going to have a scan either today or some point tomorrow. So obviously we're recording the podcast Monday afternoon. So either today or tomorrow we'll have the scan event. We should know by, when is it, Thursday the latest, the extent of the injury, whether it's like a serious or serious or whether it's just, you know, he'll miss a game or two. But the initial um, reaction is that he should be fine for Liverpool. But again, we'll know more later in the week. But again, a- but I can say, because when he came off, you sort of, Sort of the difference in our performance because, in my opinion, I thought we were a lot more defensive when Antonio came off. Uh, Bowen played up front and he tried, but obviously, he's not a striker. But Yarmolenko went out wide and Halle came on and we're a little bit slow in terms of our approach and the counter attack. So, you can sort of see the sort of struggles we have moving going forward. So, yeah, hopefully, it will be a long term one. It's a reminder, even if he is okay for Liverpool, it's a reminder that we are on slightly shaky ground in certain areas of the team. Um, and that centre-forward position is obviously one of them. I was saying at the end of transfer window and people were worried about Antonio 
And I thought, well, actually, it's fine because although Halla hasn't lived up to expectations and although they're clearly different players with different styles, you know, it's not so bad to have a £45 million striker sitting on the bench ready to come in. That said, when Halla did come on, I mean, I was very disappointed with his performance, Rashane, very disappointed. I mean, the bloke, the rest of the team seems to be playing with a smile and positivity and a zest about it. And I know that it might just be an unfair reaction to the bloke. The bloke's got a pretty grumpy persona and it doesn't help. And he might not be able to help that, might just be his style. But the way he celebrates goals in that sort of angry way, the way he kind of, I've never seen him smile. You know, I, I felt Felipe Anderson was a little bit like that. And now he's gone. Um, on loan and I think that in my mind that's sort of you know a positive for the atmosphere of the squad but I don't know about Haller he came on he looked he looked pissed off to be there and he just didn't really you know if you look at how much Antonio shows for the ball that's all you've got to do people criticize Yarmolenko because Yarmolenko had a bit of a mare when he came on and he you know every touch he had he seemed to give it away but you know what he had an off day in that regard but he was showing for the ball and that's what matters more to me because I know on another day, Yarmolenko is going to be better. Some days you just have off days. You know, there's no question about Yarmolenko's technique. He just had a day where everything went wrong. But it didn't matter because he kept showing for it. The thing about Halloris, he's not really showing for it. He's not putting himself about that much, is he? It's a part of the game that frustrates a lot of fans, really, because all you're asking, just, you know, put on the extra effort, run, chase after lost courses like what Antonio would do. Just do the basics, really, and... I'm still not going to write off Fala because he's a top goal scorer with five goals. Obviously, he scored in the Carabao Cup against like League One teams, but I'm still not going to write him off. I feel like he can still do a job, but yeah, you're right. He has to do. Come on, he has to like put just put in a shift. Because my frustration with Valera is like when the, when the opposition defenders come off the pitch, did, did you really give them a tough battle? Like, mm. did they really find a hard marking you? I remember last season against uh, Newcastle, the three-two defeat, and I asked, um, oh, what's his name again, Kieran Clark. You know, what was it like defending against Alain? And he said, that's all right, really. <laughs> <Did> <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I don't want to hear that, do yeah, you? Yeah, do I have a problem? So, and I obviously, mean, if you were to ask the Man City defenders how they found marking Antonio, it would have been, oh, that would have been tough. You know what I mean? So, We yeah. spoke to Bobby Zamora in the summer, didn't we? Yeah. And he was saying then that he felt as if he wanted to go into the club and just teach Haller how to sort of put his put himself about a bit more, use his physicality. He doesn't lack size or strength. He looks like a big, strong lad, you know. And it's like he needs someone. I mean, you don't. we don't actually have a, a centre-forward on the staff, as far as I know. But, you know, Kevin Nolan certainly played in an advanced role, not unlike that centre-forward role. He certainly know, knew how to play with his back to a defender, hold it up and muscle people out of games and stuff. And you sort of think, you know, can he just take him under his wing and give him... Because so much has been done with other players of the squad that is clearly based on one-to-one focused coaching. That's why we have seen players improve so much under under Moyes and Moyes' team. You know, um, Masuaku, probably the best player on the pitch, I would say, for most of the game on Saturday. One of the best players all season so far. Absolutely unbelievable. Has ironed out all of those little mistakes that he used to make in pretty much every game he played. And now he's competent at defending and a constant threat going forward. Antonio, 
Let's not forget, there were some people a couple of seasons ago, or even less than that, who said Antonio's finished, would be happy to see him sold to Palace, right? Now, incredible player, borderline legend, Mikel Antonio, re-coached late in his career as a centre-forward. Fantastic credit to David Moyes. We Cresswell, who, uh, you know, Cresswell's someone I'd like to pick out. Anyway, I thought he had another great game. I think that he's been absolutely slated by some West Ham fans for a long time now. And I think that he doesn't get the credit he deserves from West Ham fans. This is a bloke who's played a few, he's played a lot of games. I don't know how many it is, but he's played a lot of games. He was signed a long time ago by Sam Allardyce from Ipswich. I think he was play, he was hammer of the year in his first season. He got into the England squad. He's been picked for England a few times. He's played hundreds of games for West Ham. He was a fantastic left back. And now he's converted. He's converted. Just see, he was losing it a bit at left back. I think we can all say that because he was getting older and perhaps lacked a bit of the mobility. But since he's been switched to left centre back without any complaint, he's become incredible. He's not only he's, he must be one of the most threatening centre uh, centre backs in the league. From a, 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 uh, he's a defender who creates so many chances from centre-back with his delivery, right, and his passes forward. It's been an absolute revelation, and, and he's a bloke who I think West Ham fans should really reassess and give him the credit and respect he deserves. Because even through quite long periods where he's been absolutely slated by West Ham fans across social media and even in the stadium, he's kept plugging away, he's kept playing, he's never complained, he's changed position, and I think he's one of our best players at the moment. So there's a lot of good, there's a lot of amazing performances. There's a lot of kind of rebirths of players going on this season. I just hope that we can see it from Haller soon. And, and that's a great point about Cresswell. Another comeback story ultimately, because if you think about that sort of who's good on set pieces, who's good at like crossing balls into the box, you top of the head you'll say Snodgrass. But because you're no longer first team regular, you're thinking, okay, who can sort of have that sort of uh, nickname for being something similar, like a dead ball specialist? And immediately you think of Cresswell. You know, the goal against, um, Antonio's goal against Leicester, that was Cresswell. He's had, um, I think, three assists or two assists so far this season. I don't think he managed that much last season. So The, the free kick that led to the equaliser, yeah. although it didn't directly, against Tottenham, didn't directly go to Lanzini, but it created the problems that resulted in the goal. His delivery, more often than not, is spot on. And, and not just that, even in open play... He can receive the ball, run through that left-hand side channel, release Masuaku. He's a threat because he's mobile on the ball. Um, it's a, it's a it's a masterstroke playing in where on that left side of defence. And it was going to help prolong his career as well. That's the beauty of it. Thirty now in the summer, I thought got improved left back. Perhaps he'll be like a second choice. Won't play as many games. And look, mm. he's just reinventing himself. I just want to touch on the earlier point about Kevin Nolan possibly getting the best out of Alaire because if you think about Kevin Nolan's like career, he's played. Uh, alongside like majority of the big men like Kevin Davis at Bolton comes to mind, Shola yeah. Miobi, uh, Andy Carroll. Andy Carroll. Yeah. So if you, if you're looking at someone to try and get the best out of you know Alain, get him firing all cylinders again, he was the best person to try and speak and to. And even himself, although like I say, he wasn't a centre forward. In terms of being that sort of niggling player who gets up in the face of defenders, right, and has little tricks, you know, to sort of muscle out or intimidate um, centre-backs, right? He's your man. I mean, you used to see him do that against us for Bolton and Newcastle, and you saw him do it for us, you know. That's why I loved him as our captain, because 
he was a bit of a bastard. And sometimes that's what you want, right? I mean that in the nicest possible way. And he knew all the little tricks to to wind up opponents, to make them make mistakes, right? And that I don't know, that's that's what... Haller needs a little bit of that, a little bit of cunning and a little bit of guile and a bit of nastiness about him. And then we might see a great player. But, you know, let's hope that Antonio can keep his performances up and keep his fitness intact for now. Do you like Formula One but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you. Introducing the Race F1 Briefing, the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search The Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. We'll talk about uh, the game against Liverpool, another intimidating fixture on Saturday. We'll talk about that a bit later. But I want to talk about this piece that you've written about in The Athletic today that people... Um, can, and by the way, if you don't subscribe to Athletic, this is the last week you can do so for their extremely special offer um, for £1 a month subscription for all of Rochelle's West Ham writing and loads of other fantastic football writing every day. Um, I can recommend it. It is well worth it. Uh, if you are subscribing at the moment, you'll be able to read Rochelle's article about the contract situation with David Moyes, who, when he came back for the second time, was offered a one-and-a-half-year contract. Is that right, Rochelle? Yeah, 18-month contract, yep. 18-month contract. West Ham usually are quite... They're sticklers for only renegotiating contracts in the January period. But you think, based on this performance so far, they should be looking at his contract now, right? Yeah, I feel like he deserves a long-term contract. In his current deal, there's option, and it can be triggered by uh, certain clauses being activated Obviously, I don't know what the clauses are. The club are keeping that very secret, keeping it very close to their chest. But if you just reflect on his time at West Ham and just the way the club have improved in terms of the form, the players that have taken the game to another level, bringing young players into the first team, so the players in the academy know if they have a chance if they do well. Like, there's a real good fact at the club right now that like, all is down to David Moyes. He has a brilliant coach and staff, all of whom are managers in their own right. Kevin Nolan, Paul Nevin, yeah. Stuart Pearce, all managers in their own right. So he's just doing a remarkable job. And as we touched on earlier in the podcast, if you think about the sort of reputation he had being known as like a dinosaur negative, he's definitely shown people like, hey, I, I, I could do good. Like, give me, give me a chance to bring in the right players. I, I can do well here. And he's, think, and he's starting you know, to show he's, that. he's building an identity again for the yeah, club, which exactly. I don't feel we've had in a long time. You know, I think Allardyce kind of gave the club an identity, but it was one that none of us really wanted, right? Yeah. And then <laughs> Billich showed signs in that first year of making us a sort of a free-scoring, flair-type team again. But we learned that so much of that was down to having Dimitri Payet playing the greatest season of his life. And since then, you know, Pellegrini, I don't know what Pellegrini was attempting to do, but whatever it was, he failed. Moyes is, is, you know, there is... People can kind of look at West Ham now and take us a little bit more seriously. That's the way it's going. It's still early days, but... I feel as if we're heading in a direction where we will be regarded as a team that you can't take for granted. You can't take the three points granted. Certainly Liverpool won't be feeling that way 
this week, will they? Which they might have done in the past, um, whether they admitted it or not, not. Liverpool fans will be thinking, well, West Ham are a serious outfit now, you know, and that's so much to do with Moyes and his team. All the matches we've played so far this season, bar in Newcastle, you can say, no one gave West Ham a chance. Everyone thought, when when I wrote a piece on like why selling Diagana was um, a bad decision by the board, I said it wouldn't be outlandish to say West Ham could enter November with zero points. Yeah. That's what I said at the time. Yeah. West Ham have eight points right now. Ostensibly, yeah. West Ham could have 11 points next Monday. That, that's how that's how remarkable the start to the season has been. And obviously yeah. all down to Moyes getting the best out of the players. And I had a comment, just very quickly, Sam, I had a comment from um, a Twitter user called Andrew. And he said, this may go against popular opinion, but in my opinion, Moyes is our best manager since John Lowell. Wow. Uh, I thought, well, yeah, that was my that's reaction a very as well. big claim. It's a bit early to say that, but if you look back at the record since John Lowell, it's been very up and down. The only sustained period of kind of decent... It's hard to call it success, but decent performances that went on for a sustained period of time were probably under Harry Redknapp. Um, I was a fan of Alan Pardew for, you know, certainly, you know, a good two or three of his seasons in charge. But it's it's true. We haven't had anyone who's given the club a proper identity. You know, so you know what you're getting. There is a very good performance. We're very serious. We might not win every week, but there is certainly... You know, a mindset, a tactical approach that that you can associate with West Ham, and I can see it growing. You know, and if he could achieve something anywhere close to what he did at Everton, I'd be really happy because that would turn us into a club who were challenging for a top six spot every year, which is, you know, not, by no means something that we should take for for granted at all. We have no, we are not, and have rarely been a top six side. And there are a lot of other clubs who are very good, you know, who, are, who would be fine for that position every season. But it is not beyond the realms of possibility when you look at the way we're performing right now. Uh, and just to uh, just to clarify, Moyes said in his conference, press conference last week Friday that he hasn't held contracts, talks over a new deal, and he's in no big rush to uh, to sign a new deal. So just to put that out well, there. You know, listen, well. S- Sullivan has spent a lot of money on having to pay managers off. You know, he's, he's done it with Bilic and then he spent a whopping amount on Pellegrini. And we know he really didn't want to do that. He held on for a long time because it was so expensive to pay him off, right? So however well Moyes is doing, can you see him ever wanting to offer, you know, a contract of, of four or five years to anyone right now? Because it's just too much of a gamble. Mm. I don't think it's a gamble right now. I probably want to say like five years, probably three and a half to four. I'll look at it that way, three and a half to four. Sullivan will learn from his previous mistakes. <laughs> I know he won't give such a long-term deal next time, but Moyes is just doing all the right things. He's bringing stability to the club. As, as I said earlier, I can't remember the last time things have been this good at West Ham. Just touching on his coaching staff, everyone has a role. You see, you watch the bench, you see everyone, you see Kevin Nolan motivating stuff before they come on. You see uh, Paul Nevin standing next to David Moyes as just an idea. You see Lala Irvin and Stuart Pearce watching the game from, from the... Paul from Nevin the, uh, always with his headset on and his clipboard. Oh, all the time, all the I'm time. I'm always interested in that. Can you give us any insight? What is going on there? Because he's the one who communicates more than any of the other coaches yeah. with Moyes, isn't he? Yeah, he's definitely more than trust your right hand, man. Vast, 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 no doubt about that. And yeah, just because I wrote a piece just looking on like uh, Kevin Nolan and Paul Nevin's journey to, to West Ham. And I spoke to Chris Hutton and he said David Moyes reached out to him to, to ask for like feedback in terms of what Paul Nevin's like, what's like to work with. And he obviously gave a glowing review. So 
Wes has always been aware of Paul Nevin's potential and what he has to offer. And obviously they've formed a great partnership in terms of... So where did he work with Chris Hutton, sorry? At Brighton. At Brighton, right. Yeah, Brighton Hove Albion. They worked together at Brighton Hove Albion. So, yeah, and he's doing a great job. And as you mentioned, he's always got the airpiece. He doesn't have the airpiece on, always communicating one way or another. Looks very professional. It's 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 an old school through as well, because you don't really get that nowadays in, uh, in the Premier League. So, and yeah, it's doing wonders for West Ham right now. Well, you can read more on that on The Athletic. Rashane's published the article today about what's going on with David Moyes' contract and why he thinks that he should be offered a new and longer one. And as I say, get involved with The Athletic this week because if you do, it's your last chance to jump in on the exceptional value of £1 a month subscription offer. So get involved there. Rashane, just while we're talking about managers and, and the encouraging sort of atmosphere um, that, that seems to exist on the touchline when you watch West Ham and you see our manager and our coaches all interacting so well. I want to talk about the opposite of that. Just quickly, I was really annoyed with Pep Guardiola in his post-match interview. Um, The way that even though he was invited on more than one occasion to praise West Ham's performance, he shrugged and he sulked and he refused to do so. Now, I know it's a bit of a platitude when managers just praise the other team. But it is something that you do. And usually it's the easy thing to do because it distracts from your own team's failure. If you've not done well, it's a good distraction to say, well, first of all, let's talk about how good the other team are. But uh, Guardiola refused to do that. And he was like a, a, a sulking child. And you look at, I mean, listen, I'm I'm of the probably unfashionable and uh, and, and disprovable opinion that, that Guardiola has had a little bit of an easy career, right, in that. He took over at Barcelona, um, a team that happened to have arguably the best player of all time going through the best period of his career. A bunch of other world-class players. And um, they had success there off the back of that. He then chose to join Bayern Munich, um, a club in effectively a one-club league. And then after that, moved on to what was at that moment the richest club in the world who gave him unlimited resources to attempt to win the league every year and the Champions League is something he's failed to do. And this is a bloke who has spent money uh, on, you know, his his bill for useless centre-backs alone <laughs> is, you know, eye-watering, right? He's come to West Ham. We've given him a good game. We've outplayed his team for most of the game, right? And he's sulking. And it's like, you have been given everything on a plate to have success. You can have no complaints about the situation you're in. You have had unlimited backing from your owners. You have effectively had the opposite experience of David Moyes, who was brought in once, unceremoniously booted out, then brought back again, put on a poxy short-term contract and given hardly anything to spend and saw some of his players sold from underneath his nose and still outplayed you. You're a bloke who's been given non-stop riches, taking the easy job option at every um, at every turn of your career, right? You've been held to a draw and now you're sulking like a spoilt child about it, right? I was, uh, that that's just my Guardiola rant. It's relevant <laughs> because I, I would say these things about Guardiola in any circumstances, but when he's turned up at West Ham and behaved like that, I just think, mate, you know, you might dress like, you know, a dad who's still trying to be fashionable too far into his 40s, right? You may uh, do a lot of 
theatrical gesticulation on the touchline, right, to try and make out you're a tactical genius. But the truth is you've never got City, one of the best funded football clubs in the history of the game, beyond the beyond the quarterfinals of the Champions League. How he's still in a job is beyond me. I mean, you know, they should be so lucky to have David Moyes in charge over there at Man City. In the post-match press conference, I was also a bit disappointed as well in Guardiola, at least saying, you know, Antonio played well or give credit to West Ham for, you know, upsetting, for, for, for making it difficult for us. Just something along those lines, you know, to get, at least give Moyes a bit of credit. I might have a cheeky bet on him being out of a job by the end of the season. <laughs> Probably get a good price on that. Um, let's look ahead to the next big game. I mean, what a, what a run of fixtures. Let's just recap, right? So after opening against Newcastle, which was our only bad performance, but on the face of it was the easiest fixture, We've had Arsenal, Wolves, Leicester, Spurs, City. And now, um, you know, it's like boss level in a video game. You get to the, yeah. you got through all of those <laughs> rounds. Now you're at the, the hardest of them all, Liverpool. Yeah. However, is this a good time to play Liverpool, Rochelle? 100% similar to where it was a good time playing Man City because they had like a few injury injuries in their defence and obviously with Liverpool not having Van Dijk it's a great chance for West Ham to play well great time for West Ham to play Liverpool and hopefully get a good result I'm of the opinion that West Ham can can you know get at least a draw against Liverpool this weekend because played well last time we went to Anfield and there's no reason why I can't do it again going away it seems to be less of a a hindrance now as well doesn't it you know what I mean? There's less difference between playing home or away because without fans there, you know, beyond the fact that you've had to have a tiring day travelling to get there, it shouldn't really make much of a difference to a team's performance, should it? Exactly. And as we all know, West Ham actually do well in big games. It's the big games where West Ham show up in and do well and definitely have potential to cause an upset this weekend. And as, as, as you touched on, I, I think I'm right in saying in the Premier League as a whole this season, away teams have performed better than the whole teams. And that could obviously work in our favour this weekend. So, yeah, I reckon it'll be a good performance. Even if West Ham lose, it's still been a great start to the season. And fans yes. can't be upset. So, as I, mean, as I mentioned as I mentioned the piece I wrote about Moises having a long-term deal, the thing he has to like get into the players' um, heads now is that the games against the Fulhams, the, the Aston Villas, the Sheffield United, that's the games that you have to win because for, for whatever reason, West Ham tend to struggle with those matches. Well, traditionally, if we pulled off some good results against these bigger, tougher teams, I would be thinking, well, yeah, we'll we'll end up losing to Fulham because in the games that we'd won, they had pulled out exceptional performances from uh, individual performances from a lot of our players who were motivated by playing against a bigger club. Um, I don't see that in our current performances. I don't see it as based on players playing out of their skin beyond themselves. That's not what the performances have looked like. The performances have seemed very consistent, based just as much on the tactics and shape of the team as it is on individual performances. And and for that reason, I am uncharacteristically uh, positive about um, the, the run of fixtures we have after Liverpool. Just lastly, though, um, do you think, firstly, that there could be any changes or do you think there should be any changes to the team that faces Liverpool? Of course, we're hoping Ben Rahm will be fit. Would that make a difference? 
I don't think Ben Rama will start. Moyes in his, in his press conference said he's going to be cautious with Ben Rama, similar to the way he was cautious with Jared Boren. Mm. Doesn't want to put too much pressure on him right now. He's always a bit cautious when he signs plays for the championship, which I understand. So I reckon it'll be the same team that played um, against Man City against, well, hopefully Antonio will be fit because, you know, we need him and he's been great for us. So that's okay, the only so one you've got to look at. That leads me to my next question. If Antonio doesn't make it, who would you put in that position up front in his place? Well, I guess the obvious one's got to be Ale. Mm. It's, got, it's got to be him. I know it changed the way we play, but he's the only other striker you could think of. I know but it's Moyes... interesting that Moyes didn't bring Halle straight yeah. on when Antonio got injured. I found it interesting as well, the fact that he wanted to give Bowen a chance out of there to see how he mm. got on. It, it, it wouldn't surprise me if Moyes to be like, you know what, let's try and, and, and use Bowen again just for his, just for his work rate. Because obviously, you know, Bowen's going to run around and give it his all. And obviously, Allaire doesn't really have the sort of sort of same approach to game. So that's Can interesting. Can Yamalenko to play there? Can Yamalenko? I mean, is my right in thinking he plays a more central role for Ukraine? Yeah, he plays a more central role for Ukraine. He didn't do, do too bad there in the last international break, but you just wonder about his work rate. And Yarmolenko's good, but he's more, he's more, has more of an impact off the bench, in, in my opinion. I don't think he has sort of the same success when he starts. So I think the obvious choice is to play Allaire, really, if Antonio mm. doesn't doesn't make it for Saturday. I think I agree. I think I agree. I mean, I was critical of Allaire earlier in the show. Um, I think he's got a lot of improvement to make, but I think... What he's not is total rubbish. I mean, he's mm. actually a good player who perhaps needs to adapt his attitude a little bit. And um, and also the fact is he has scored goals in a lot of games that he's played in this season, mostly in the cup, but he popped up with one against Wolves as well. So I think that would have to be it. But um, let's keep our fingers crossed that Antonio will remain fit. And uh, we'll be back next week with our reaction to the Liverpool game. Like you, I feel like we should be going there expecting at least a point. Yeah, hundred percent. Like we, we can do well. We do well in the big games. Like honestly, we do well. We can definitely cause cause an upset on Saturday. As I mentioned, the fact that West Ham could enter November with eleven points is just brilliant. It really is. I mean, you're close to forty. The magic point in terms of staying yeah, up. Yeah. So that'll be really good. And you know what, Sam? Just before we wrap up the pod, I want to give a massive shout out to James because I got a DM from James last week. He was like, you know, enjoying the podcast, enjoying the uh, articles in the athletic. But what on earth do you and Sam say at the end of the podcast? Mm. I don't know what you and him say. Yeah. And obviously I was like, it's Samasia Boo. How do you not know who Samasia Boo is? He's like, who? <laughs> Really? So, or maybe he's a young lad who wasn't around yeah. in what I call the golden age of yeah. Samasia Boo. I can't even quite remember when that was. Uh, I guess it was the late 90s. Yeah. He said he, also, he thought it was some, some French phrase we just do randomly. So, yeah. Well, I'm very flattered that. that he thinks we could possibly be that sophisticated. <laughs> um, but no, we're not wrapping up our West Ham podcast with an obscure French phrase. We are literally paying tribute to one of the great cult figures of West Ham history, Samasia Boo, who played as a striker during the Harry Redknapp era, I think in the late 90s it was, but I remember some good times watching him play. Um, right, everyone. Um, thanks, Rashane. Uh, we'll keep an eye on The Athletic. Got got any uh, any stuff coming up this week you can give us a hint about? Yeah, on Wednesday there'll be uh, the next article in the series looking at young and up-and-coming players at West Ham and this time it'll feature Harish Nashby uh, speak, speaking to his dad and oh, he's just so proud of his progress so that piece will be out and on Friday there'll be a piece on looking at like 
were people wrong to write off Moyes and just looking back at his time at Sunderland, uh, Real Sociedad and how he's able to turn it around to do so well at West Ham right now. So ready to article to expect this week. Fantastic. Look forward to that. Um, we will see you next time, gang. Until then, come on, you irons. And remember, ladies and gents, there's only one. Samasia Boo. Boo.